When running a business, your employees can create all kinds of interesting situations, like getting complaints because someone on the team always smells horrible. You better talk to Bambi. With Bambi, get access to your own dedicated HR manager starting at just $99 per month. They're available by phone, email, and real-time chat, so onboarding and terminations run smoothly. Team members reach peak performance, and your business stays compliant with changing HR regulations. And with Bambi's HR Autopilot, you'll automate important HR practices like setting policies, training, and feedback. Bambi's U.S.-based personnel are dedicated to your business, giving you access to the HR expertise and personal touch you need. HR managers can easily cost $80,000 per year, but Bambi starts at $99 per month. Schedule your free conversation today to see how much Bambi can take off your plate. Visit Bambi.com slash C-Suite right now. Spelled B-A-M-B-E-E dot com slash C-Suite. Bambi.com slash C-Suite. Megan Gibson. The well-being of one person in a family affects the whole family system. This is a supportive community to share research, resources, stories, tips, and life hacks to keep the family brain healthy. Hi, and thanks for listening to The Family Brain. Today, I will be joined by Bob Lenz and Laureen Adams, who work with PBL Works, which is a nonprofit that helps educate people about project-based learning. Bob and Lorraine also have a free ebook called This Teachable Moment, which provides an introduction to project-based learning and ready-to-go projects for students' grades kindergarten through 12. And so one of the things that I love about this conversation is if you're a parent or a teacher and you're anything like me, you are concerned about the upcoming school year and what it will bring. And what I love about my conversation with them is that it's this reminder that kids are always learning and that they learn best when they're talking about and engaged in things that they really care about. And I have found that after this conversation, I've been noticing more the things my kids want to learn more about and sort of pepping myself up to follow that trail, if that makes any sense. So sometimes I, my kids will ask me questions. I'm like, oh, I don't want to answer another question. But this is this is their learning. And I just feel like somehow that's encouraging me during this, this um, unstable time where a lot of us are concerned about, are our kids going to fall behind? Are they learning? Are they just like standing still? And it's just that reminder. It's like little encouragements to me that my kids are continually learning and they they're learning probably different things than they would have had things stayed at status quo. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. This is my last recording focusing specifically on COVID-19, but my guess is we will be continuing to talk about this because it does not seem like life is changing anytime soon. And I just want to give a shout out to all the teachers out there who are preparing for the school year and not knowing what it looks like. And I think we have put a lot of pressures on teachers and schools. And it just, I just want to give a shout out to those that are listening that are teachers and just want to cheer you on. So 
Thanks so much. And I want to give a shout out to Other World Computing, who has sponsored this series of podcasts about COVID-19. Other World Computing is a company that sells everything you need for your Mac. You can do upgrades and accessories and anything you need to help your Mac be optimal. So thanks so much for the sponsorship. I appreciate it. Hi, Lorraine and Bob. Thank you so much for joining me on The Family Brain today. Hi, Megan. Great to be here. So one of the things I'm excited about, I think that so many people that are listening to this show and just existing in the world are nervous about what's going on with schools and education. And what's exciting to me is it's really, I think, promoting conversation about what is the role of education and how do kids best learn. And maybe there's some conversations we haven't been having that now are on everybody's minds. Um, And I just wanted to hear from both of you just sort of how you got involved in the field of education in general and sort of what you see as, as, well, maybe we'll just start there, but I'm really excited to hear what you think about everything that's going on in the world right now. But maybe just give a little background on, on how you got involved in this kind of work. So I actually thought I was going to study law up until my last year in undergrad and realized that education was really an area that I've I needed to go into because it was such such a game changer, especially for students of color. Um, so that's what drove me into education. And I I started teaching in New York and then after a few years wanted to move back to California and was fortunate enough to be hired at um, Envision Schools, which is where I first met Bob. And it was a project-based learning school um, or model. And I loved it. And I just saw that students really thrived with it. It felt super meaningful and authentic and have been kind of committed to project-based learning ever since. So I moved um, again to Southern California for graduate school and worked at a a school for the arts that was also project-based learning and I loved it. And um, my children have been involved in PBL since they've been able to. Um, I started out um, after after college, uh, living in San Francisco, um, and I had um, put myself through college. I was first in my family to go to college, and so I I just didn't feel like I could afford to take out any more loans. I really wanted to be a teacher, um, and so I my first job was I was actually a, a, a glue salesman. I sold adhesives, um, and I compl- I hated it. Um, and so I figured out that I could teach um, in, uh, in an independent school, in a Catholic school in San Francisco, in an elementary school. I taught middle school uh, with the Salesian sisters in North Beach. And, and the students that we served were uh, low-income uh, students, um, of uh, mostly Chinese-American students. Um, and the order was dedicated to, to serving uh, uh, low-income uh, uh, people and, and youth in particular. And it was a great experience um, in really learning about working with kids of all ages because it was K through eight. And, um, and uh, but in particular, it was where I learned to teach. And I realized right away that I had to figure out how to engage the kids in a way that was different than just putting them in rows and, uh, and having them do worksheets. And fortunately, when I was in 
fifth grade, I had an amazing teacher, Mr. Cooper, and um, we did projects and we did project-based learning. And so I still actually have the poetry book that I wrote and created and illustrated and published and did a poetry reading when I was, I think was 11. Yeah. Um, and I learned so much and I, and I, and I, and I you know, literally still have it. So when I was teaching middle school in the, at this school with the kids, I was like, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll do Mr. Cooper's uh, poetry project. And it worked as well with those kids as it did with, with, with me. And, you know, close to like over 30 years now, I, I always wonder whether those kids have their books. Um, I moved over to up to Marin County um, when I got married and had the opportunity to teach at a school, a public high school um, that was, and in fact, really struggling at the time um, because of lack of rigor and demographics. And so they had, in the 80s, they had been about 1,500 kids in there. In the 19, early 1990s, they were down to 600. And so mm -hmm. we, as a staff, decided to use project-based learning and small learning communities and putting kids in cohorts of about 75 to 100 with three to four teachers that they took three or four classes together. And we did integrated projects and we got amazing results. So we went and from 93, from being a school that was almost ready to be possibly shut down, to 1999, I got to go to the White House and we got an award from uh, Secretary Riley and the Clinton administration for um, one of the, uh, called a New American High School, one in 13 in the country. Um, and they okay. even featured us in US, U.S. News and World Report. But the challenge was people would come to the school and it's Marin County, which is predominantly white and more affluent. And they would say, well, this is really great, uh, but it would never work with our kids. Um, and we had hundreds of visitors from all over the country. And um, so that was sort of the impetus of Envision Schools and Envision Education is I was, I, I was like, that's just not right. Like all kids should have the opportunity to do this. And so we founded a small network of charter schools where project-based learning was one of the, you know, the core strategies that we used um, and, that, and that college success was our goal, not just getting through high school. And we saw the results at uh, our vision schools um, were actually better than the, the results for kids going to and, and staying in college than the, the, the suburban school. Yeah. So this, you know, we have like, you know, 100% of our kids going to college and an 85% persistence rate. And the kids will tell you in studies, we did one with Stanford, that project-based learning is one of the reasons why. So if someone's listening and they're thinking, what is project-based learning? What is the most basic, you know, thing that people can kind of wrap their brains around that even if you're not an educator or involved in the education system, you'll get the idea of what this and how it's different. Yeah. So, so project-based learning is a, is a, it's, it's a strategy where, and teaching method where students learn the content and the academic skills that uh, we want all kids to learn through more of an inquiry-based uh, approach where they're looking at challenges or problems that relate to their lives or to the world uh, in a way that's way more authentic to them, their identity, their culture. Um, and then they're asked not only just to learn about it, but then to actually uh, synthesize what they've learned and then apply it. And possibly that could be through a solution, it could be through a presentation, it could be through a product that they develop and, and bring to market. 
um, or or address in their in their community. So it's a combination of using the academics and not just learning it. We call it knowing. You're gonna look, you're gonna you're gonna know some stuff and both the, the but you're also doing and you're applying. And then a key component of project-based learning, like all good teaching, is reflection, where students are thinking about what they did and what they did well, what they want to do differently, and then how they're going to apply it in their and the next time they face this challenge. And um, and kids love it. And uh, and you know when my kids were doing projects at school, that um, what I found in doing project-based learning is it was also really fun for us at home because they'd come and want to talk about what was going on in school. I don't know, you know, like if it was normally with my kids, I'd go, what happened in school today? And they go, nothing. But if they're engaged in a really great project-based learning, they'd be like, oh, we're studying the election, dad. Mm -hmm. And did you know, did you know this? And then we ended up having a conversation at the dinner table about what they were learning at school that I didn't have to like drag out of them. Right. It's interesting to me because I, it seems like sometimes there's programs within schools that do this kind of project-based learning, but maybe it's like the GT program. Like it's like a separate thing that's not offered to everybody. And what you're saying is this is something that everybody benefits from. You don't have to be in the GT program or why isn't this, why don't you think this is more accessible for more kids? I'll say one thing and I want to hear Lori's comment, but I just say like, what's really interesting is that the research will show, it actually shows that it's good for everyone. And it's especially good for the students who traditionally don't do well in school. So Mm -hmm. everybody rises, but the kids who are are disconnected from school and, and, and it's especially good for black and brown students and low income students, they rise even higher. Um, and so it's it's actually a great equalizer in in making school um, uh, work for everyone. I would add, as a teacher educator, I can say not many teacher preparation programs really prepare teachers well to implement project-based learning. And so if you've been taught um, to teach in a more traditional way, it's a challenge to switch and do PBL because really you're no longer the sage on the stage, right? Like you have to release a lot of control and you have to be a guide and let students do a lot of the hard work and heavy lifting on their own. But I mean, of course, supporting them along the way. And so it requires like a different type of of managing how your class works. It requires um, really leveraging student voice and choice. Uh, so you have to be responsive to what your students are interested in when you're designing projects. So, I mean, it's just, it's so different than how we traditionally prepare teachers to teach that I can see that why some teachers are a little apprehensive at first to implement it. Makes sense. What are, are there questions that help you find what kids are passionate about? Because I'm trying to picture asking my own child and I can picture him saying, I don't know why, like, why are you asking me? Like, exactly. I can picture being like... <laughs> So are there any like great questions that you have that help stimulate and get the conversation going so you you can understand what kids care about? Yeah, Lori, yeah, yeah, talk about the in general, but then also I think you've designed some really great um opportunities in the in a in the ebook that we just uh, got came out to help parents do that. Thank you. Um So when I was teaching in the classroom, I started my very first day of school every year with a questionnaire to students, and I asked all kinds of things about them. So um, 
their favorite author, their favorite genre, their favorite uh, musician, their favorite artist, favorite color, all of these things, things that they really care about. And that's a way to get a little bit of insight. Um, but typically, current events, you know, students are in tune and many of them have strong feelings about things that are going on in, in the world around them, whether it's um, in their community or the larger community, world community. Um, so I find that, you know, just talking about what's going on in the world to get a yeah. sense of what's like top of mind for them or most pressing or something they feel really passionate about can help inform what kind of project you might design. Yeah. As you were talking, I, I, I thought my son is very concerned that TikTok is going to get banned in the United States. And there you go. Yeah, that's just interesting. <laughs> right. What 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 are the implications? Why would it be? What what things have to happen for that to happen? And that might be interesting. And how would you yeah, and how would you stop it? I mean, I think I think parents actually have such an advantage over teachers in this because you know your children so well. Um and then it's and some you know, just like and it's sometimes just being persistent um uh with with kids to keep asking the question. Um, and don't give up with a with a with a couple times, even as surly as they can be, especially in the in the tweens and, and teens. Um, the the other thing that I found and I, I think about is sometimes you don't know what you're interested in until you get a chance to do it. And we would see that a lot in um, with students in um, at uh, when I was a teacher, and then with the Envision students who we did projects or workplace learning experiences. And they were, you know, sometimes they'd be in the areas like they would never think that they would do into like, like fashion design. Like this kid growing up in the Mission District in San Francisco ended up doing a workplace learning and fashion design. Never thought he would be doing this. Now he's graduating from San Francisco State with a degree in fashion and is working in the industry. Hmm. And, and if you had asked him, like when he was a ninth grader, what are you interested in? He wouldn't have said, oh, I think I think I'm going to be a fashion designer. But because he had the experience, so I, I also think it's really important for us as adults to offer kids the opportunity to learn and be curious about things that that they've never had a chance to. And and, and sometimes you say, "Well, I never want to do that again." It was like, "Great, right now yeah. you know." Well, it's, it's funny because that reminds me of what Lorraine was saying about teachers feeling intimidated because that's sort of what my question I think was. Well, how do I know the perfect thing to introduce? Like, if I introduce the wrong thing, it's going to be bad. But you're saying like you're still learning even if it's not the perfect fit like it, it's great if the kid is excited but if they're not okay here's something else and just kind of exploring what the interests are yeah that makes sense and the reflective process like well why didn't that work like thinking it through from a reflective point of view and the you know and sort of um breaking those things down those are those are just whether it's success or failure or it was fun or not it's those are the real learnings happen in the in the conversations that you have through the process because right. that's what kids will, will be able to apply as adults. So I was hoping you could talk a little bit about the ebook, the Teachable Moment, and how that came to be. What what you're hoping people and readers get out of this? And it's a free ebook, which is awesome. And it's I saw it's very easily shareable. So if you want to pass it to your teacher friends or parents. But can you just tell me a little bit about what what your hope is for that? Yeah, I'll I'll talk about sort of the genesis, and then and and Lori, maybe we can talk about the projects um, and our hope there. You know, when this when this first uh, happened, and um, we knew that uh, 
all the kids were going to be at home with parents. And, and then within the first few weeks, we saw that the majority of the work that was coming home for kids to do was, um, was pretty bad. And it was a lot of worksheets and a lot of um, didactic uh, teaching. And if there was any teaching um, and talking to parent friends of, of kids and how frustrated they were. And you took away some of the pillars that get kids to do things. You got rid of grades. You, you got rid of, of, um, the, of homework uh, requirements. Um, and so kids were like, well, why, do I, why should I even do, like, why should I do it? Because mm-hmm. it doesn't count. And um, we said, well, what can we do to support, you know, we were working fast to support teachers, but we thought, wow, we got to support parents in this. And, um, and, and we realized that I don't think a lot of parents know that there's other ways of thinking about learning. Then, because we've all gone to the same, you know, similar models of school. And so we said, well, let's use this as an opportunity to do some, uh, a really brief introduction to project-based learning and how it's powerful and what some of the research says, not only educational research, but cognitive uh, research. What is project-based learning? And then give folks something they can do with their kids that if they can get it going, the kids will start getting engaged. And maybe that'll give them some peace of mind and, 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 and time. And then also ultimately show maybe that a different way and, and, and raise the expectations that parents will ask their schools to make sure that kids experience this on a regular basis. Um, but the projects were really the heart of it. Um, and so, uh, Lori, maybe you can talk about the, our hope there. Sure. So the book includes 21 projects. And they're themed um, by me, my family, my home is one, my community and the world. So you can have your learners kind of consider what's most pressing or interesting um, for them related to those themes and then choose from a few different possible options. And some of the projects are projects that were kind of reworked that we already had in our project library. And then some were kind of um, born out of our our current reality, right? Like, so there's one specific to documenting what life is like during a pandemic so that you can Mm. share it with young people who come after you. Oh, that's Um, neat. Yes, and and then one that kind of came up top of mind for me because I'm sure many people can relate was was cooking around creating meals because we were cooking a lot more at home. So then I was like, okay, how can we make this a little more meaningful? So we talked about um, learning about family recipes and um, memories maybe associated with them and then either turning it into a cookbook or a cooking show, which was of interest to my children. Um, So it's not just like, can you follow a recipe? It's also like, can you interview people from the family to find out the history of it and and then actually like produce the cooking show? So it's a a few different skills they're learning. and then we actually ended the, the 21 projects with like, how can you create a project for your students? So something you, you brought up earlier, Megan, like um, um, how do I find out what they're really interested about? So there's some questions that you can ask your learners um, to get them thinking about a project they might wanna create on their own that's not offered in this list. Yeah. What would you say, because I know you have a lot of experience working in lower income environments, what would you say to parents who are thinking, gosh, this is one more thing 
on my list of things to do. Like how, how can this kind of work be integrated into families and systems that are already feeling strained? So great question. And that's something that I, I kept top of mind. The, the projects are all designed to be low tech to no tech and they can be uh, more complicated and, and incorporate more technology based on what's available at home and um, the parents or caregivers um, comfort with using that kind of technology. But a key component of PBL is really to get young people to be self-directed learners and learn how to manage projects on their own. And we have tips for that in the book. So depending upon the age uh, of the learner, it would really inform how much a, a parent or caregiver would need to support along the way in the project. But the first time you'd probably need to support them a little bit more if it's their first experience with project-based learning. The hope is that the more projects you implement, the better your young people get at, at doing them on their, on their own with, with some support from you, but not a lot. Right, I love that. It's funny. And then, so my- and then that doesn't go away. So they learn that and they can apply it in other aspects of their life or as long as, you know, I think this is gonna be going on for a while. So the sooner we can get kids getting more engaged and self-directed and curious, um, the better. And I, and I also think the more we can push on schools to support teachers in providing these experiences as a part of, uh, as part of what the regular learning, you know, the more formal learning is as well, um, so that parents can be a partner with the school in that. I um, spoke to Denise Pope. Do you know her? The Challenge Success. Mm-hmm. And I, I always, this, this seems like it syncs up so well with that because it's so often I feel like with education, we have this one idea of what success looks like. And this to me is an example of how we can shift that mindset, you know, and, and just present, like you're saying, it's a different way. Um, I have a friend and I would have not planned to sign up for homeschooling, but that's apparently what I'm doing. And, but this friend has been very passionate about homeschooling all along. And I've loved reading what she writes about it from her choice, just to remember how many different ways there are to learn. It's kind of kept in my mind, this openness to, there's so many different ways to learn. And we've just been sort of programmed into one way. Um, so anyway, but I, I think this this matches up really well with what she talks about with challenging how we think about success. Yes, most definitely. And that it's an, it's a really great opportunity, like as as she would talk about, like for kids to not to to have, you know, sense controlled failure where things they try don't work out because it's not the stakes aren't that high. Um and they start to learn the the and that back to that reflection. And then other times the projects are going to be just fabulous and they're going to be so they have that sense of pride that's so much more intrinsic than when you get an A on a test. Um, uh, because it's something that you invested yourself in and you have mastery over. Yes. They, nobody can take that away from you. That's, yeah. it's, it's, it's something you keep for, you keep your poetry books for uh, 30, 40 years. My husband, it's funny because when you were talking about that, my husband has this story he wrote probably about the same age and he has done all kinds of other things, but he still has that story that he wrote in whatever grade it was. And I mean, he still knows, I, he, he'll be sad that I don't remember the characters, but he still remembers the characters <laughs> and everything. So um, anyway, but I'm wondering what, so in your circles and your educator community, what do you hear people talking about in terms of everything that's going on? I mean, it changes day to day in the news, what's, what's, what people are thinking about what should happen with school. But I guess I'm wondering not so much what you think is going to happen, but more 
what kind of conversations do you think this is pulling up around what role education plays in our society, just in our world? And, and how is that conversation changing with everything that's going on? Yes. Yeah, so what's coming up for me and with educators, I know outside of PBO Works, is a lot of um, anxiety around continued remote learning, which we just found out Los Angeles Unified, um, which is in the area where I live, is going to start with remote learning in the fall because a lot of teachers just weren't equipped with the skills to, to facilitate it well um, when everything happened in March. And so folks are really thinking about what technology tools, what learning tools they can use, how much screen time should teachers have with students? How much should students be working independently? How are we thinking about community and giving students an opportunity to collaborate and connect with one another, even if it's through a screen? Those are some of the issues that are really top of mind for educators I know. Yeah, I've um, been talking to um, school system leaders and, um, and it's been, you know, they've been in this um, uh, position where they are immediately thrust into trying to figure out how they were going to support all these teachers and kids and families at home and how are they going to get computers out to the families who don't have it and internet and hotspots and, and, then, and then also be the main source of food for families who are low income, not just lunch anymore, and figure out food distri distribution. And then shifting to oh, now we have to get school back open. And oh, I think we can do it in hybrid. Oh my God, it's surging. Now we're going to have to go to virtual. There's, and more and more, I think, you know, people are are landing on, we're going to like LA Unified, we're going to start virtual. But our phone is starting to ring again because people are saying, hey, and we've been hearing this all along. We got to start engaging kids in project-based learning. Like this is not working. It didn't work that great in person for all kids. It definitely doesn't work in, you know, traditional learning just doesn't work online. Um, but PBL works really well. It lends itself to the environment where you can have short times together to frame things as a large group with the news, with all the, the different tech video conferencing and putting kids and, and learners in small groups to do group things, which actually you can't do in school right now um, because you can't put kids more than, you know, they have to stay six feet away from each other. So if you had four kids in a group, you'd have to have 24 feet in order to have that classrooms aren't big enough to, to do this. So it's actually interesting. It even works even better um, and online. And then kids can do presentation. They can do their work at home and the investigations. Um, they can interview experts much more easily than they could do in a school. And then they can come back together and make presentations of learning online. Um, and so we, we're, we're really excited about the opportunity that, that PBL gives to the, the online opportunity that might shift things in a way that hopefully and we'll, ne we'll never go back. The other thing I'm seeing is schools and systems like uh, the Envision schools that I'm with are really rethinking even schedules. And they, they cracked one of the, the challenges that we've had in project-based learning is when you have 125 kids that you're teaching, giving kids that much feedback is so difficult. It's just, it's, it's a monumental task for teachers to do. So they're breaking kids, they're gonna have kids do two or three classes, the same as teachers 
for 16 weeks and then or 16 days and then they're going to do another they're going to switch so the teachers will only have about 60 kids um and that they'll be working with online um and small groups and large groups so they can give them uh, more personalized feedback um, because that's the also the advantage of the online is doing the one-on-one -on -one. um it's really it's exciting and so challenging my son's gonna start teaching he's just his first teaching job and he's so he's worried anyway because it's your first teaching job and he's like dad how do i he needs a he's an art teacher and like how am i going to do this online like i don't even know i don't even know these kids so we've been talking a lot about like well once you get the kids working on their project then you're just going to set up a whole series of office hours like 10 or 15 minutes with every kid and you can just keep circling around i said you might get to know these kids even better than you would in a full classroom because you're having one-on-one -on -one direct conversations. Right. The last the thing I say is, space. yeah, my wife has been, is a teacher and she's been doing, and it's continued over the summer with elementary kids who she was doing uh, reading with and their kids reading, you know, we talk about the learning get fall off. These kids are increasing their reading skills because she's reading with them for a half hour every single day. Um, and they don't get that type of attention at their in their homes because everybody's worried of the chaos in the background. But there's real opportunities uh, right now to actually accelerate learning um, in this challenge. And I think more and more people are going to start figuring that out in the in the next few next few months. So, in addition to the ebook, what other resources? do you guys suggest people look into for whether you're a parent or an educator? Um, I know PBL Works is is the umbrella. Where would people go within that to, to learn more about how to bring this to their home or to their school program? Yeah, I think we have uh, some uh, uh, on our website, pblworks.org, we have some portals set up that are one for parents specifically. That's where the ebook is, where you can download it, but there's a whole set of resources, many of the ones that we highlighted and, and Lorraine um, uh, has uh, vetted for the, um, for parents that are in the book. Um, and uh, uh, that's re really, I think the, the best places for the, the parents. And we also set one up for teachers. That's how to do PBL online. Um, and then we're, we have our, we have another resource that's specifically for teachers but parents could use it too, called my.pboworks.org um, that has all kinds of open resources. Um, and then now um, more and more, um, we're launched our first online course um, with Southern New Hampshire University um, for teachers to learn about PBL teaching that they can take. Uh, the first two sessions sold out like that. Um, we're also offering what we call open online PBL workshops. So normally we used to do this in person. We had partners all over the country, but now throughout the summer, we're going to do them in different um, time zones where teachers can sign up to do our project-based learning 101. Um, and they don't have to wait for their school to do it. We, we work with schools and districts all the time, but teachers who want to just get it, we, we priced it and we think at a point where it's affordable for teachers or their schools to help them support it support them and do this work and we're we're weaving in like how you do this in a in a online or distance format not just how you do it in in general so that teachers are really ready to go do the work when school starts um in, in september 
do you have to be a teacher to sign up? No, no. Okay. Because I think we're, I mean, not that we're all teachers now, but we're all kind of trying to, you know, yeah. get as many skills as quickly as possible. Um, so that would be interesting. Yeah. You are teachers. We are <laughs> teachers. Right. Yes. Primary teachers, the, the first teacher. Oh, yes. Um, yeah, no. And it's interesting. I was just thinking when you guys were talking about these projects, my daughter is going into third grade and she decided she must have seen it on YouTube or something, but she wants everybody to eat for 24 hours food that starts with the letter of their names. And so she's researching this. She learned how to spell Neoki. She put it on like a keynote speaker, which I don't even know how to do these presentations, you know? So, but because she was excited about it, she's learning spelling. She's learning how to use yep. this technology and she's really excited about it. So it's, it's fun to see it in action. And, and I, I don't know, I, it kind of matches up with what you guys are talking about. Yeah, that's exactly it. You know, you you see when kids get in, excited about whatever it is, they'll do things and learn things that you could never get them to do if you said, "We want you to learn how to use keynotes, you know, right. and 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 make a presentation on this for me." And they're like, "I don't want to do that." Right. And I looked down and I was like, "You you did this? Like, okay, <laughs> awesome. That's um, awesome." Yeah, it was fun. Uh, well, is there anything else that you guys were hoping we would cover that I haven't asked you about? One thing that we talked about earlier was around mental health and wellness during this time. And I just want to highlight that we do have a project that's focused on that, that asks learners to think about creating a healthy mind and body plan. So thinking about what we need to do to eat well, to exercise, to manage our emotions and stress. And I think that's super important right now. And one that um, I'm going to start with my children this week because knowing that they're not going back to regular activities, we need to make sure that they're all getting the exercise they need and also managing not being able to see their friends as much as they'd like. So yeah. I want to share that as one that I think everyone can benefit from, even parents. Right. <laughs> well, and that's what I find I'm talking to friends about, you know, what are you doing? Well, I'm really counting my water, you know, or whatever, whatever little pieces of things you feel like you can control. Those are things we're really, that are really important when you're faced with this kind of difficulty. So that would be a fun thing to do as a whole family. Yeah. And, and I think the projects are designed so that and a lot, most of them can be used as a whole family. Like it's everybody learning together. Um, I mean, that's, it's, it's a similar, like it's, it's a, it can be a tough switch for, for teachers, but ultimately project-based learning is as good for teachers as it is for kids. And in this case, it's as good for parents and caregivers as it is for the students. Everybody, it, it just changes the dynamic of how hard it is to get kids to do the, the online work changes into something that learning becomes fun. Um, and, and something that everybody, um, enjoys together. And I think that leads to uh, a much better, um, uh, mindset and, and healthy, um, um, emotional state, uh, when you're engaged in that type of work as a family. Love that. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited about this. I'm going to try and do it. I'm picturing maybe if at dinner, we can kind of get the conversation going and cause we need things to talk about anyway, new, new topics. Yeah. 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 Take a look at, you know, maybe like throw the book out there and say, which one looks like fun. That's a good idea. Let's, That's a good let's idea. try one of these. 
Yeah, I like that. I'm going to print it out. Um, so I'm wondering in this conversation, this is the question I ask all the people that are guests on the show, just especially during this time, have you found that there's a specific habit or um, healthy practice that you are needing more than ever during this COVID-19 pandemic that you found as sort of like a touchstone practice that keeps you feeling balanced? It's very helpful for me to talk to my friends who have children. <laughs> Sometimes just to know that we're struggling with the same thing, mm -hmm. also to celebrate our successes. Like we got our, our teenagers up before 12 today and <laughs> they're working, you know, yes. it's, it's little things, but reaching out FaceTime or phone calls has been very helpful for me. Yes. I love that. Well, and we, connected right away when, when we first met online because I said if you hear screaming through the wall it's my son on his video games and I've asked him not to but you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't imagine having kids for young kids right now but um I had a uh, I had been trying to start a more of a mindfulness practice um before COVID um I'm a pretty active exerciser but uh I've been and I've used an online app called Calm um, as a sort of a one to keep me, but I've, I've been very uh, disciplined in doing it because I noticed the difference. There's two things I do every morning. I get up earlier and I make time for mindfulness and then a walk, um, knowing that I'm going to be probably on a Zoom for six to eight hours. Um, I When it first started, I wasn't doing that. And I was just so, I, I would start like the day grumpy. Mm -hmm. And, and, um, by giving my opportunity to get centered and present before I did all this work is really, I, I, I don't know if I would have made it through the last few months if I, I didn't have some place to sort of center myself. Yeah, no, that's great. And it's so interesting. I love asking that question because it seems like everybody has gone through a process of maybe it wasn't, it wasn't going so well. And so you kind of had to really pay a little bit more attention and meditation, for example, I've heard it from so many places, but when push comes to shove, you're kind of like, okay, what was that app you told me about? Like, I need it right yeah. today, right now, <laughs> you know? Um, so we're all sort of paying a little bit more attention to what is helpful and what is not helpful. Yeah. Well, I wanted to thank you both so much for joining me on the show, and I'm excited to share your work, and I'm excited to try it out on my own. So I, I feel like this was a nice pep talk for me to get me excited about my home remote learning program. Awesome. Thank you so much for having us. And please let us know how your first project goes. I will. I'm excited. Yes. It's, I, I think the hard part is going to be what balancing what do I want to know about and versus what they, because I'm kind of excited about the healthy habits and all this stuff. And I can picture them like sense, like smelling it on me, like she wants that one. So we're going to pick something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but anyway, well, thank you so well, much. I appreciate it. And um, I appreciate all your insights. All right. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks again for listening to this episode of The Family Brain. If you enjoyed the episode and thought of someone while you were listening, it would be great for you to share it with them. The best way to share a podcast episode if you're listening on iTunes is to go to the screen that you're listening on. In the bottom right corner, there's three little dots. And then when you click that, there's a little share icon and you can pass it to a friend. And if you would be so inclined, I would love it if you would leave a rating or a review. That helps other people find the show and spread the word. 
And thanks again to Other World Computing for sponsoring this podcast and for supporting the show. Other World Computing has everything you need for your Mac, accessories, upgrades, everything to optimize your Mac. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.